You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is not Remzo W. Martinez. I thought about maybe doing an impression of him for a second, uh, but his voice is just just too sexy. I can't even imitate it. I would need some lessons. Uh, if you're listening to On the Run, welcome. I am a guest host. My name is Hody Johns. I'm also with the Weird Libertarians Network. Maybe you've heard of me. Uh, maybe you haven't. And you know what? That's okay. I have been on the show before. Uh, I think a couple times, actually. And Remzo is a good pal of mine. Um, one of the funniest guys around in the movement. One of the greatest storytellers you'll ever hear. <laughs> uh, one of the greatest jokesters. Uh, meeting him was certainly a, a point of pride in my life. Remzo, thank you for trusting me to guest host an episode for you. As uh, many of you know, Remzo and I hail from a similar background. We are both... Uh, of the Christian faith. Um, and I am going to, I want to talk, it's going to be a lot about faith, but it's going to relate to ideology as well. Um, if that's your shtick, please stick around. Um, it is going to be something that I think you will, you will relate to. And, and atheists, I don't want you to drop out because I intend to talk about not just Christian faith, but faiths in general. Um, so let's get started. Uh, I'm really excited about this. Um, <clears throat> so I wanted to talk about what your faith makes you into. You know, we are told as Christians that when we believe we become a new creation, we become something different, something better than what we were before. Uh, often when we start believing or when we learn something new, and this goes for whether it's faith or just regular information or philosophy or whatever it is, we become angry. We become burdened by it. Intelligence is such a burden. Oh, ignorance is bliss. It makes you happy. Learning things makes you sad. I got to tell you this. Intelligence is no more of a virtue than any other. It's not more important than love than kindness, than generosity, than patience. So if you are abandoning certain good things to gain something else, to gain this one good thing, you know, oh, my intelligence has cost me all these other things. Well, let's go for more gifts. Be stupid and be generous and be kind and be loving. Now, of course, I don't want you to be stupid. Wisdom and intelligence are both gifts. 
they uh, true wisdom and true intelligence doesn't come at the expense of virtue. It's just something that we like to tell ourselves because it gives us an excuse to be jaded. It gives us an excuse to be angry. Christians, most of all, I mean, come on, you guys can't be hateful. First John chapter four. God is love. Not just God is love. <laughs> God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Now, listen to the way that's phrased. God is love and whoever abides in love, therefore abides in God. The Bible says you seek out love and you find God. Not you seek out God and you find love. If you seek love, you find God and then God finds you. So this love is what you need to be seeking. It's impossible to be hateful and to be a Christian by Christian standards, right? I mean, let, let's go a little bit further here. First Corinthians, let's take the obvious one, right? Chapter 13, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy, does not boast. It's not arrogant or rude. You probably heard this before, but really listen to this. How many times have you been impatient or unkind? That's not what love is. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. How many people are rude and they're like, sorry, just telling hard truths? Well, if you're doing that, then you're not teaching what God is. It's not love. It's not loving. It's rude and it's arrogant. It does not insist on its own way. There's multiple ways to love. There's not a single way. Oh my goodness, that's in the Bible. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Think about this. Love deals with all everything. Love can take it. I used to belong to some churches where they're like, oh, God can't be in the presence of this. God can't be in the presence of that. God can't be. That. No, no, that's bogus. It's evil that can't be in the presence of God. God can be in the presence of everything, blows everything away. Love has no problem being in the presence of somebody who's less than savory. It's that less than savory people that have an issue with love. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things and endures all things. Love never ends. That's the verse. The concept of the golden rule is true across all faiths. And atheists, I, I promise I do want to get to you in a minute here. But listen to this. Buddhism, hurt not others with, th with that which pains yourself. Confucianism, is there any one maxim which ought to be acted upon throughout one's whole life? Surely the maxim of loving kindness is such. Do not unto others what you would not they should do unto you. Christianity, of course. Do unto others as you would have them done unto you. Let's go with Judaism. Get from the Talmud. I love this verse from the Talmud. What is hurtful to yourself, do not to your fellow man. That is the whole of the Torah, and the remainder is but commentary. Go learn it. That's from, the, that's from the Talmud, the whole Torah. Don't harm other people if you, wouldn't be, if you wouldn't want to be harmed yourself. Hinduism, this is the sum of duty. Do not to others. This is the sum of duty. For those who have studied Hinduism, 
Duty is a big deal. And this is the sum of it. Do not to others, if done to thee, would cause thee pain. From the Mahabharata. Islam. No one of you is a believer until he loves for his brother what he loves for himself. Jainism. In happiness and suffering, in joy and grief, we should regard all creatures as we regard our own self and should therefore refrain from inflicting upon others such injuries would appear undesirable to us if inflicted upon ourselves. Sikhism. Six. I have a great friend who is uh, teaching me uh, more about... um, You pronounce it Sikhism? He pronounces it that way. I've heard it pronounced Sikhism. I'll let him decide. He's the expert, so I'll go ahead and pronounce it Sikhism. As thou deemst thyself, so deem others. Thou, then shalt thou become a partner in heaven. Taoism, regarding your neighbor's gain as your own gain, and regard your neighbor's loss as your own loss. Zoroastrianism, it'll blow you away. This is still like a top 10 world religion, by the way, for those who are like, what is Zoroastrianism? Yeah, it, it always boggles my mind that there's so many of them. The nature, that nature only is good when it shall not do unto another whatever is not good for its own self. Let's get to the atheist real quick, because obviously you don't have a, a book that I can cite, right? That's the, the great advantage of atheism is I don't have a single standard for you. For some, it can be a disadvantage. And let's look at the, na- to the natures of, of atheism real quick. On one hand, you've got the existentials, the this is it, and so let's make the most of it. And this world is important and good. You know, Sisyphus is kind of regarded as the role model of this faith, who pushes the rock, who does the work, even though you're going to die. And it's going to be nothing for you, but the work you do will matter to the person who comes after you. Right? Now, what do all these faiths also have in common? You can certainly find worse verses in all of these, especially atheism. Nothing matters. Go ahead and hate. Go ahead and kill. You know, so we have these rules here. And then all of them seemingly have hypocritical stanzas within them. They call it a paradox, if you don't like to call it uh, contradictions. A paradox is something that doesn't seem like it can be true, but it is. Um, but people love the paradox. And unfortunately, you know, I, I come from Christianity, so that's my background. That's what I have uh, experience with. People love to to point out that, oh, this is when Jesus held the whip. Everybody wants to hold the whip. When they ask themselves, WWJD, everybody thinks of the Jesus that holds the whip. First of all, that verse might, might not mean what you think it means. Um, there were animals, and uh, a whip is actually a tool to hurt animals. And there is strong evidence uh, both within the text and from the times that he was actually just kind of ushering the animals out. Um, even then, consider that who he's dealing with, dealing with the Pharisees, he's dealing with his own people. How does he deal with the Gentiles? You know, people want to rage at everybody. It's not them. So Christians, if you want to go, go hard, fine, go hard, but go hard, go hard on Christian leaders. Don't go hard on everybody else. That's not, that's, not, that's not biblical. Now, what is it we can do when we have conflicting information like this? When we have, oh, well, we have this and we have this. And what a lot of Christians like to do is default to something and say, oh, I really wanted to be a, 
a, a good, good guy. Uh, but unfortunately, like I, I really want to love the gays, but uh, unfortunately, my faith just teaches that I can't. You know, I can't be good to them. They're full of hate. I found this little Bible verse over here, right? And and similar to other faiths, I mean, you know, let's let's talk about Islam extremism for a moment. You know, they they cherry pick a couple of verses legitimately, and I mean, they are verses talking about spilling the blood of your enemies, killing them doing away with them. Atheists, not off the hook here. Let's talk eugenics for a minute. <laughs> if you think that area is done and that race science is done, oh, it doesn't matter how many times you debunk it. There are still there are still people who believe in race science and eugenics. I mean, Richard Dawkins, right? <laughs> if it works for the dogs, it must work for the humans. Now, a lot of people associate with eugenics with well, they might be, you know, lesser people, but that doesn't mean I have to, you know, I don't believe in eugenics because I don't treat them like lesser people. That doesn't matter. Right? Eugenics just means that some genes are good and some genes are bad, right? Some genes are better than others. More desirable. Well, more desirable to who? Again, this is a choice. So what you have is you have these biblical verses or you have these, these inspired divine verses across the faiths that talk about doing good things. And then, if you want to, you can find a handful of verses that seem to be okay with hate a little bit. Maybe even murder. Maybe even war. So what do we do, then? Because it's not like, hey, no faith can be right, right? This is why I'm talking about what your beliefs, this is what I'm calling this episode, Right? What has your faith turned you into? What have your beliefs turned you? What has your ideology turned you into? Because you have a choice. Right, You can be the Christ that was healing, or you can be the Christ that held the whip, and you can hold the whip against everybody. Now, I can make, uh, obviously, I'm already kind of defensive about it, as I've talked about it already. <laughs> you can certainly make the case that that the hateful Christ never existed. He was just dealing with higher ups or that maybe, you know, Christ had a perfect, I don't want to dismiss any part of the Bible because this gets into a lot of weeds. I have to do a lot of, well, in ancient Hebrew, this verse said that that's, that's not what on the run is all about, right? <laughs> We're trying to talk about some kind of uh, something a little more general. I mean, that's not something I even really enjoy. You know, it, I do get into the weeds but it's not something that I enjoy even on a general church sermon. I have to be talking to like hardcore script, you know, scripture study scholars that sign up for the class to even get people to stay awake for it. So I'm not going to even go there. Let's just assume there's two verses that seem to be in conflict and they're in a paradox. So what do we do? We have, we actually have an example, Christians in the Bible about what to do when you have a paradox when you have verses that seem to conflict. Now, this story gets told a little bit differently. It exists in three of the four Gospels. It exists in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, and it's a little bit different each time. Not significantly so. It's the parable of the ox in the pit, sometimes called the ox in the mire. In Matthew, it's actually a sheep who falls in the mire. Sometimes it gets a, it's a donkey stuck in the mire, depending on which version of the scriptures you're reading here. Um, 
But yeah, let's not get bogged down with it. I'm going to give you the general story here. For those who are super hardcore Christians, we're looking at Matthew 12, Mark 3, and Luke 6. Okay, I'll let you kind of, I'll let you put together the pieces how you would like, but the story generally goes like this, that Jesus is there, and there is a man with a withered hand who is, uh, who is hurt. Um, and they intentionally put this guy here. Turns out the Pharisees want Jesus to fall into this trap because he's been healing people, even though it's the Sabbath. And so Jesus calls him on it. And before he heals them, he's like, okay, if one of you guys has an ox and it falls into a mire and starts drowning, would you guys take it out, on, even though it's the Sabbath? Right? Would you do it? And they all go silent for a minute because they would. Now, here's, here's the thing about the Pharisees. The Pharisees weren't great people. You're probably familiar that, with this, regardless of your understanding of the scriptures. Um. The thing is, is getting an ox out of a pit is uh, more than a one-person job. So they probably would lie about this and be like, no, I would never do any work on the Sabbath. That's breaking a biblical command. But they can't because they've had to enlist help pulling their ox out of the pit before. Now, why would they do this? Why, why wouldn't they just follow the letter of the law as it is stated? You do not do any work on the Sabbath. Right? You're not even supposed to leave your home on the Sabbath. That's actually an exodus. They made an exception, the Jews did, to say, well, we like to, let's gather on the Sabbath, right? So then they made a rule about not doing anything in between your, your home location and the, and the synagogue or the tabernacle, or wherever the place of worship is, right? You do nothing in between there and there. So Jesus is about to break a biblical commandment. And let me tell you this, breaking the Sabbath is a pretty serious one for those who have been through the Old Testament. He's not like, this is not like your mixed fabrics commandment, right? Where you see it once and everybody's like, wait, you're not allowed to mix fabrics? What's going on here? No, this is a very serious commandment he's about to break, right? This is why the Pharisees set up this trap. Because they think he can't resist healing somebody. He's going to do it. And we're going to immediately be able to be like, hey, you just broke the Sabbath. You sinned. You can't be the son of God because you're fallen just like the rest of us. So how does Jesus follow this up when they get in this stunned silence again? He calls them on it. Which one of you guys wouldn't do it? Then he says, how much more valuable is a man than an ox? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. I'm making it the law. Which is lawful to do on the Sabbath? This is the way it's phrased in Mark. To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? And then he tells the man to stretch out his hand and he heals him. This actually really frustrates the Pharisees in all of these cases. <laughs> in all three descriptions, uh, the Pharisees then go about plotting to kill Jesus. Uh, because that was their hope, to catch him in a sin. Thing is, is their own arrogance made it so they said, well, if I'm sinning, then you're sinning too by pulling your ox out. Now, it's very important to note that Christ does not fault them for pulling the ox out, even though this is a blatant violation of the Sabbath. Right? He, he says, that's okay. Yeah, you saved your ox. You can't look in an, the eyes of an animal that's drowning and just say, oh, sorry, God wants you to die. 
Jesus Christ himself says, break that law. I don't care who gave it to you. I don't care if the Levites gave it to you. I don't care if the Sanhedrin gave it to you. I don't care if your religious authorities gave it to you. I don't care if a politician gave it to you. I don't care if God himself wrote it on a stone. You break the law to save that animal's life. And I will break that law to heal a person on the Sabbath. This is a choice, right, that Christians have. Christians, like I said, they, they so often, they don't, they like to print, oh, I really want to love gay people, but I can't. I really want to do this, but I can't. When Christ gets a choice between two things, doing the right thing and doing the wrong thing, he doesn't hide behind the scriptures. He does the right thing. It's not to say that all the scriptures are worthless. They're guidelines, right? But when it comes to doing right and doing wrong, you do right. Because that's the law. When God said he, when Christ said he came to complete the law, People are, that people are like, well, why does he do that when he overturns so many laws? That's the completion of the law. God's law is the will of God to do the right thing. Laws that restrain your love are wrong. Now, this has been proven even within the Bible itself. This is not some, a lot of times you get tagged as a modernist, right? Like some modern uh, revisionist is a term that people love to use to throw around which is funny because most of the time the revisionists are the ones that are like, I'm using my English Bible. And, and then I talk about like old, you know, what the Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek words meant. And they're like, Nope, I'm using this for it. Well, I'm sorry that your revision is imperfect, but you're the revisionist, not me. Right? But you get called a revisionist or a modernist for kind of making some of these claims, right? Because you just want the Bible to be more pleasant. Well, yeah, I do. Jesus Christ is called the good news. If I make him the bad news, then he fails to be Jesus Christ. So yeah, I want the Bible to say a good thing, but this isn't even just me saying it. This is Jesus saying it. This isn't Hody the man who just wants everything to be fluffy bunnies and rainbows and unicorns. This is Jesus Christ talking about healing and doing the right thing. There are countless times that personal revelation overrides biblical commands in the Bible. Maybe not countless, but they are, they are frequent to the point where listing them off is difficult. Just look at how often in, in Old Testament law, the penalty for thieves changes, sometimes in back-to-back -back verses, by the way, right? Because I have no doubt what happened is you get one criminal who you don't feel any pity for. He stole because he's greedy. He's already rich and he wants more. And then you follow it up with a guy who stole because he was out of food and he didn't have any other choice. Of course, I mean, you know, we're all capitals here. We'll all have a choice, but you feel, you feel for that guy versus the other guy. So what do, what do the Levites do? They keep changing it, right? They keep saying, well, maybe we kill him. Okay. Maybe we just haven't paid back. Okay. Maybe we, you know, they change it frequently, but I mean, let's talk about the major ones, right? Like kosher law. I mean, there's a, there's a whole vision that overturns that, right? There's killing captives. There's stoning adulterous women, right? And men. But the adulterous woman, that's the one that is in the Bible that Jesus is like, mm, nope. 
nope, we're not going to do that. Uh, well, I mean, that's the scripture. You kill him. You kill her. She needs to die, right? That's the scripture. But he said, no, we're, we're just not doing it anymore. This isn't to say, again, this isn't to say that the Bible doesn't matter. And this is also not to say that there's no such thing as truth. It's just that stoning this adulterous woman is wrong. Just like letting this man who you could heal and leaving him be because it's the Sabbath is wrong. Just like letting an ox drown in a pit is wrong. Just like kicking your gay son out of the house is wrong. Right? There are rights and wrongs. Let's talk about a few that that we just kind of stopped doing and stopped believing in because everybody, this might seem like a controversial message, but think about this. I mean, let's talk about biblical laws that aren't directly overturned in the Bible. Mixed fabrics. I mean, I already brought that up, but that's an easy one. Do you think God cares that you're wearing a mix of polyester and cotton or that your jeans are made from a different material than your hat? Right? It's, it's ridiculous. There's there's some rationale, again, as a biblical scholar, these are things you have to learn that why it may have been written. Because of like, you know, back then there was some there was a, a greed factor and a fanciness and rubbing it in people's face factor to wearing multiple fabrics, and it was cheaper to have one fabric, but that's that's not the case anymore. Right. Now that's an explanation that I have, but that's certainly not in the Bible. Walking nowhere close to women on their periods. I don't know that that was ever biblically, that that was ever divinely inspired, but it managed to make it in the Bible. Have them walk away so you don't get all their gross diseases that happen on periods. As opposed to God, the infinite God, the omnipotent, immortal, all-knowing God saying, hey, guys, maybe periods aren't, (laughs) maybe here's how to take care of periods, right? This is the excuse often given to kosher law, right? That, oh, they just weren't very good at cooking pork back then. Yeah, you think God, who's leading them by a pillar of fire, is unable to tell them how to cook pork? You think you think the command is just don't eat it, as opposed to, hey, just make sure you cook it all the way through? Please. Please. They know how to cook beef. Why can't they cook pork? And that's not even the explanation. I think this is very important as well. That's not the explanation given in the Bible for why you can eat pork now. What he says is, call nothing I I made clean unclean. Call nothing that I made good not good. I made pigs. They're okay to eat. So knock it off. He doesn't give any excuses. He doesn't hide behind it or make some little cultural, "Uh, I don't know. No. He says that's dumb. You're not going to witness to people because of the food they eat. Or because if they're circumcised or not, that's idiotic. But here we have Bible verses that say, well, you got to be circumcised. You can't eat pork. It's really important that you don't or that you do circumcise and don't eat pork. No, it's not. It's not. And I feel like deep within our souls, we know this. And this is the point of having the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to open this back up to all other religions again. This is the point of having personal discretion about having a conscience, about getting in touch with your spirit about becoming one with your body, soul, and spirit, right? Getting your mind and heart and everything all lined up and saying, I think I can discern this. You get to choose. 
Bible tells us good fruit has to come from a good tree. Bad fruit has to come from a bad tree. So if your production is bad fruit, and now I'm going to open this up to liberty, right? Let's talk about liberty since since we I know if you're listening on the run, you are probably at least liberty liberty minded, right? So this is something we can finally all get in on, right? But how many people become liberty minded and become angry, curmudgeony, disappointed, jaded? Oh, it's just part of being a libertarian. No, it's not. If the tree is good, the fruit is good. So if you're telling me the fruit of your studies is that you are now an angry curmudgeon, that you treat people badly, that you feel that you're better than everybody or more arrogant than everybody, then not only is the fruit bad, but the tree you got it from is bad. Is it any wonder then why these same people who take tend to be so angry then go out and tell you, oh, go and read Rothbard and nobody does it? Why would I want to learn to be angry? Hey, do you want to know where the source of my rage comes from? Well, here it is. No different than why, you know, Christians are like, why don't people want to be Christians anymore? Why is faith in God dwindling? Because you're an a-hole. And so when you say, well, I'm an a-hole because of this book, please read it. They're going to say no, right? Of course they're going to say no. I don't need to learn to be angry. I need to learn to be happy. I need to learn to be loving. All those things that they said about love. I want to learn that patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and peace. I don't want to learn anger and hate and division. I don't need that. That's the nature of the world. I want something different. Now, by what I've said here, you might think, well, then all these trees can be potentially good or bad. And yeah, right? Because some people become Christians or become atheists. My goodness, some people become atheists and finally say, I don't have to be judgmental anymore like my parents were. Some people become Christians and they say, finally, I've seen the light. I'm ready to serve others. Some people become Muslims and they say, I am so ready to go out into this world and meet people and serve Allah. Some people become Hindu and they say, thank goodness I have this Dharma, this duty that, that brings me peace, that brings others joy, that brings goodness. And by the same token, in each of these faiths, all of us can immediately think of somebody who just became a jerk. And this is where it's your choice. Because the tree, if it's going to be good and the fruit is going to be good, you need to prove it. I'm not going to convince any, I'm not going to tell somebody to not be a Christian and not be a libertarian. That's not my point. If I, it's similar to this verse here. If your right hand causes you to sin, then cut it off or else throw the whole thing into hell, you know, or else your whole body's going to get thrown into hell along with your right hand. Now, does Christ actually want you to cut off your right hand? No. He wants you to stop using your right hand as an excuse for why you sin. Your right hand does not cause you to sin. You cause you to sin and you use your right hand to do it. Right? So this is liberty, right? Liberty is the salvation of the world, right? The political salvation of the world depends on liberty. 
and libertarianism. And it's the good news and it's wonderful and it should make you happy and overjoyed. And you should be going forth to people and preaching this with full throat and, uh, and unashamed and understanding where other people are coming from and getting these converts and building this community. And bringing healing, the healing that comes to live with liberty. My goodness, when you find out that you don't have to be part of this binary left-right system of authoritarianism anymore. The good news that comes when you say you can get out of it. That should put a smile on your face. That should make you happy. That should not make you sad. If it has made you sad, you're doing it wrong. You have a different liberty than me. Just like these Christians who go out on TV and preach all these hateful, divisive, hell and brimfire things. Oh, they like to pretend we have the same God, but I've already been told that my God is love. And I've been told about the fruits of my God and what that will produce. I don't have to say that they're not Christians. They tell on themselves. They rat themselves out. I quoted the something about the golden rule in virtually every major faith across the, the world today. The same goes for them. I don't have to call out fake Muslims, fake atheists, fake people, phonies. I don't have to call them out. They tell on themselves because they refuse to live verses that they don't want. Everybody makes a choice. People act like they're beholden to the language, to the scriptures in question. They're not. They're not. I just showed it. You get to choose. You're not beholden. So you can choose to do the right thing or the wrong thing. And these people get on TV and they run these churches and they choose to do the wrong thing day in and day out. And they're very obvious to, obviously fake to people who don't like grow up in it, right? <laughs> the world recognized they're fake. Okay, I don't have to tell you. So when you say, hey, I want you to read my book, I want you to watch this video for me. Keep in mind, this is the incentive. It's not, people aren't thinking, well, could I learn something? We, we can learn something from everything. They aren't going to ask themselves, oh, is this going to be educational though? Well, yeah, but I could educate myself on anything. I go on the internet and educate myself on a bajillion different things. Why would I educate myself on your thing if your thing makes you miserable? Or if your thing makes you hateful. There's a scriptural practice, a tradition that teaches that the devil wants you to be miserable like unto him. You don't need to do the devil's work for him. If you are miserable, I'm begging you. You don't have to give up your religion or give up your political ideology, especially if you're, especially if you're a libertarian. But you need to think about what you're actually worshiping. For a minute. Think about if you are actually practicing your faith or if you're hiding behind it. Right? If you are using it as some kind of bulwark to kind of say, oh, I want this to take the blows for me so I don't have to be responsible. There was nobody who held himself more accountable than Jesus Christ. Right? And if you're a libertarian, you're walking evangelists. You need to hold yourself very accountable. And if you find yourself spreading misery and, and mistaking that for liberty, your tree is poisoned. And people are going to see that and they're not going to want to hear about it. 
you're libertarians have tried being angry for so long. (laughs) One of the things I love about Remzo, it's what makes him different, right? He's done with rage. He's leaving it behind. What's the point of just being angry? Where are the fruits in that? What's what, what, what ideology is that that encourages you to be angry? Everybody wants to have justice anger. Everybody wants to have this rightful wrath. Okay, but but nobody ha- nobody actually does it very well, right? And so, yeah, you can experience a moment, right, where you say, hey, this needs to be corrected within my own people. Let's go ahead and get this fixed up. But nobody who's spending time in hate, like, ends up doing better. It's worse. It's much worse. So think about that. What has your belief system made you? What has your faith made you? And what are the changes you need to make? Because I can tell you, Whatever your faith may, you know, whatever your faith may be is what it is, but liberty is the way to go. I think we have that common understanding, you know, on the show. But are we really worshiping the same liberty? Or have we maybe kind of got a little worldly with it? Have we kind of maybe let the let liberty down? Maybe we're taking taking the technicalities of liberty and getting too invested in those making it more of a burden. I mean, this is, this is one of the most freeing ideologies of the world and it's become a burden. How ridiculous, how ridiculous. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I appreciate it again. Uh, Remzo, Remzo W. Martinez, he wants to send his love your way. Again, I appreciate you Let me guess host for him. He's going to be back with you very soon. I'm sure of it. Um, he is still just as passionate about this project as ever. I can tell you that because he, he wouldn't have a guest host. He would just skip it. That's what I do for my podcast, right? He loves you guys. And so he just wanted to make sure somebody stood in for him. So again, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great life and liberty, and I will talk to you later.